Mark 6, 30 through 56. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, but from all there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they went and found out, they, had, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were five thousand men. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go out and go before him into the other side to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of, taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, and the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astonished, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to the land of Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring sick people on their beds. And wherever they heard he was, and wherever he came in villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched him, as many as touched it were made well. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Paul. Good morning. How's everybody doing? Some of you, I thank you for answering, by the way. We've got two people in here. Yeah, we're good. Everybody else is like, what? Uh, to give you some idea, I, if you haven't heard me preach and you want to know what you're in for, my own mother attends this church and knew I was preaching today and, and chose to spend the weekend in Phoenix. So that just gives you... <laughs> It gives you some idea. She did have a baby shower to go to. It was my sister's baby shower. She, she scheduled she scheduled that baby shower. Um, I don't know if that means anything, but I am excited to be able to teach you today. Uh, my name is, is Jared. Did I say that? I don't know. Um, when, 
when I get up to preach, I'm going to let you know what, I, what I've normally done in the past, and this is just me being honest with you, um, I, I try to memorize everything that I'm going to say before I say it. It makes me feel very comfortable. It makes me feel like I'm very much in control of everything. I, I didn't do that so much for today, so this could really go anywhere. Um, it could be really bad. It does make me a little nervous, and you might, you might pick up on some of that, but that's what's happening. Um, I am, though, excited to be able to share God's Word with you. It is always an incredible privilege for me. As far as a feeling of worthiness regarding this, I have none. I have none. To be able to share God's word with you is a huge blessing. So I thank you for the opportunity. Um, I'm I'm especially excited about Mark. As we've been going through the book of Mark, I don't think that I've ever truly appreciated this book for what it is. If you're not too familiar with the Bible, there are four different accounts of the life of Jesus. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Luke, and John are a little different than Mark, a little longer. Uh, Matthew, Luke, and John, what they really do is they, they prepare you to meet Jesus. In a sense, before you ever see any aspect of his public ministry, what we see in Matthew, Luke, and John is an explanation in some sense, some, some backstory that gives you an idea of who it is that you are about to encounter. So Matthew and Luke specifically, they begin with, with genealogies, uh, birth stories about Jesus. Uh, the genealogies are meant to tie him to historical uh, figures in Israel, King David and such, to give you an idea that he is in line with this kingdom, that he is himself the, the coming king. There's, there's the birth stories that we're all familiar with around Christmas time that will give us an explanation of who Jesus is through the words of the angels as they speak to Mary or, or Joseph prior to the birth of Jesus there. In Luke, we have uh, prophecies that are being made as people come up. In John, if you've never read the first chapter of John, uh, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's theologically rich, it's poetic, it's deeply philosophical, and it gives you this idea of who Jesus is. But Mark doesn't do any of that. What Mark does is he sets us down at the very start of the ministry of Jesus and invites us to step back and just witness. And up until the point, I think, that we started going through this book together, what I would have said about the book of Mark is that it was concise, almost paraphrased. I did like the aspect of it that was just how quick moving it was. You know, we've talked in here in the past few months about the immediacy of the book of Mark. But I think it's so much more intentional than that. Where where Matthew, Luke, and John kind of invite you to look at what Jesus does and look at what Jesus says in light of who he is, Mark says, I want you to discover who Jesus is in light of what he does. And so you almost have this opportunity, we're almost invited to be like a first-hand witness. That doesn't make the book of Mark better than the other gospel accounts, but it does make it unique in its approach. Now, as we have been going through this together, going through this book together, we've been seeing different layers of Jesus' character and identity 
peeled back. And it seems like every week we're learning something new about who he is, about what he has come for, right? About his character. We begin to see in the person of Jesus that there is more to him than just good teaching, that he is in fact the author of Scripture, that he has authority in the way that he speaks and authority in the way that he presents God's Word. We see in him the power to heal the sick. We see in him the power to cast out demons. The demons obey him. So even as we are reading and discovering who it is Jesus is, we witness the disciples repeatedly being blown away by what it is that they're witnessing in the person of Jesus. And so my hope today, as we read this latter portion of Mark, a a rather lengthy portion of Scripture, um, that we would encounter a new aspect of Jesus' character, maybe one that we are slightly familiar with, but we've never truly considered. And that's what we're going to do today. So if you don't have a Bible, could you raise your hand? And we have some people that will, you know, we have somebody here who will distribute Bibles to you. Got a couple. We're going to be in Mark chapter 6, verses uh, 30 through 56 today. So we're going to finish up this chapter, I believe. And as we do, I would just encourage you to really, really just kind of sit back and sit in what it is we're seeing Jesus doing and see what it is that he reveals to us about himself. Before we, before we read this portion of scripture, I'd just like to take a moment to, to pray. Did everybody get a Bible who needs one? If you still need one, make sure and raise your hand. All right, let's pray. Lord, I pray that as as we are exposed once again to the character and identity of Jesus, that you would prepare our hearts to respond appropriately. That we would not, as I have so often done in my own life, come to Jesus with this sense that I already know him through and through and understand every aspect of who he is, but instead we would come as learners excited to discover more about this man whom has come to save us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to preface this a little bit, you're probably, you may be familiar with some of these stories. You may not. It is a lot of scripture, and I will tell you, there are a hundred or thousands even sermons that are located here that could be preached. There's a ton of detail and there's a lot of stuff that you're going to going to think we should spend a little bit more time on and I feel exactly the same way. But we're going to look at this in the larger aspect of a portion of God's character. Okay, Beginning in verse 30, it says the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep. Without a shepherd, and he began to teach them many things. So, if you were here last week, you know Jesus had sent out the disciples on a mission. 
He had sent them out in groups of two into the surrounding countryside, into the different villages, with nothing but uh, the clothes that were on their back. They were told, don't bring money, don't bring anything. It was really a, a test of faith for them to be sent out the way that they were. And at this point in the story, we see them returning from this trip, and they come back, and they're obviously filled with excitement because we know Scripture tells us that they went out and they preached the gospel. They went out and they taught repentance to people. They went out and they healed the sick, and they cast out many demons. And they come back to Jesus, and up to this point, the disciples have largely been witnesses to the work of Jesus, but now they are returning as active participants in that ministry. And you can imagine them telling him, Jesus, we went out just like you told us to. We went out without money. We went out without extra clothes and people cared for us and we got to preach the gospel. All of our needs were met and demons obeyed us just the way that they've obeyed you and left people that they were tormenting and the sick were healed. We've seen so much. But as they're trying to convey this report to Jesus, people are coming and going, coming and going. The ministry of Jesus at this point in time is really beginning to explode. As people have come to learn that one, he preaches with authority, and two, especially that he is able to heal the sick, there's very little time for leisure. There's very little time for discussion. So Jesus tells his disciples, okay, you need rest. I need rest. Let's get in the boat. Let's head along the coastline. Let's find a desolate place, a quiet place where you can be restored from your journey. And so as they begin to travel along the coastline, people are recognizing Jesus. Hey, there's that guy who heals Everybody, right? Hey guys, come on. And as they're traveling, more and more people continue to join them. Now there are people spreading the word. By the time that they arrive in that desolate place, the hill of that desolate place has become an arena. And Jesus steps out of the boat, and I'll remind you, in search of rest. He steps off that boat. He is greeted by thousands of people who are there because they need something from him. And rather than responding in frustration, getting in the boat and going back the other way, which I would have done, because they can't keep running back and forth all day, eventually they'll leave you alone. Instead, he responds with what? Compassion. Compassion. I've read that word so many times as it pertains to Jesus, and I don't think before I got the opportunity to, to preach this message that I ever really sat in what it means for Jesus to be compassionate. That word is very specific. That word is used with great intentionality, and it's going to tell us something about the character of God that is life-changing. He had compassion on them. Why? He steps out and he sees that they are like sheep without a shepherd. They, they have not received the appropriate amount of teaching. Their religious leaders have failed them. So they are lost. They are confused. 
And so he begins to teach them. He sees that need in them and he begins to teach them. So what is the compassion of Jesus? What is the compassion of Jesus and why does it matter? Let's start with this. What is compassion? I think a lot of us think we know what compassion is. I think I thought I knew what compassion was, but I don't, I don't know if we always really get to the heart of it. Jesus displayed it in the most pure way, in the most real way that we could ever imagine. For Jesus, for Jesus, compassion was this. Compassion was a reaction, a sympathetic reaction to the needs of people. That's all it was. It was a sympathetic reaction to the needs, the hurt, the suffering of people. It was such a reaction and felt so deeply by Jesus that it wasn't just sympathy. It it caused him to act. It caused him to do something. That's what the compassion of Jesus does. It moves him to action. Compassion is a sympathetic reaction to the needs of people. We get this confused sometimes. And this might sting a little bit. It stings for me. But I think that there are some ways in which we think that we're doing compassion, in which we think we're experiencing compassion. But what we're actually experiencing is something counterfeit. I'll give you a few examples, and I think there's more, but two that really come to mind. Compassion as a reaction to people's worthiness is not compassion. We have a saying very popular in this country, God helps those who do what? God helps those who help themselves. That is not true. That is not true of you. That is not true of the way that God has treated me in any way, shape, or form. That is simply a lie. God has never looked down at me in my life and said, Oh, it looks like Jared's helping himself. I should help him. Does that reflect the heart of God? Does that reflect what we know about God? No. That's not compassion. What is that? That's reward. Is reward bad? No, rewards are not bad in and of themselves, but do they reflect the heart of God in Jesus as we see him active here in his ministry? No. God did not come to earth as Jesus to reward the good works of man. He did not come to reward us according to our worthiness. If he had, do you you know how bad a shape we would be in. If God were to show up and say, I'm here to reward you according to the things you have done, according to the things you have failed to do, I would run. Because I would know what my reward would look like. That's not, a, that's, that's not compassion. A compassion is not a reaction to people's worthiness. It's simply a reaction to people's needs. That's the criteria in order to awaken the compassion of Jesus. To be in need. Dietrich Bonhoeffer is, in history, probably one of the most compassionate men who has ever lived. He was a pastor in Nazi Germany 
who gave the ultimate sacrifice in his fight against the injustices that were being done against the Jewish people there. And there's a, there's a biography that I would suggest you pick up sometime uh, if you haven't read it uh, by Eric Metaxas. I believe it's called uh, Pastor, Prophet, Martyr, Spy. And it's just amazing. There, that will give you a good idea of what compassion looks like in the people of Jesus. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in his book, Witness to Christ. He said, we must learn to regard people less in light of what they do or omit to do and more in the light of what they suffer. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine if that's the way we considered people, if that's the way we considered how we helped them, if that's the way we considered how we poured into them, if we looked at them not in light of what they had done, the good things that they had done, the proper things that they had done, the things that they had done that had reached our criteria, or the things that they had failed to do or hadn't done, but instead looked at them in light of what they suffered, in light of what they lacked, in light of what we had that they didn't have that we could give to in some way alleviate what they were going through. Compassion as a reaction to worthiness is not compassion. It's reward. Jesus is not rewarding people here. The second type of counterfeit reaction, and this is one that hits home with me, is compassion is not a reaction to our desire to be thought highly of by people. That's not compassion, that's pride. And oftentimes, what we end up doing is we exhibit the compassionate aspect of our character because we want people to witness that and reflect back to us that we are good people. That does not mean that we need to hide our compassion. Okay, if you're overflowing with compassion, you don't just hide that. That's dishonest. That's not who you are as a follower of Jesus. But I would encourage you to ask this question, even as I ask it of myself. If nobody was there to witness my works, if nobody was there to witness my compassion, would I still be as inclined to do it? If I couldn't plaster my compassion all over Facebook or Instagram for the world to see, would I still be as inclined to respond with compassion? Compassion that is a response to the way we want to be perceived by people is not compassion, it's pride. In Jesus, we see genuine compassion, a reaction to our need. And I want to show you today in Scripture that I believe that almost everything that we see in the book of Mark can really be informed by this singular aspect of God's character, that he has arrived to show compassion to people because there is a need in the part of the people. Let's move on, because there's a lot to cover. Verse 45, uh, no, I'm sorry, we're going to be in verse 35, I apologize, through 44. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? 
And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups. By hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they, and they took up twelve baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the fish were five thousand men. Jesus, in his compassion, is reacting to the needs of the people. What is the need that he is reacting to? Hunger, right? Not a desire to send these people out into the villages late at night. Not a desire to see them have to wander and find, find food after a day of learning from him. He shows them compassion based on their need. And he says something that I've always, again, I'm learning, I've always considered to be almost a joke. When the disciples say, let's send them out so they can get some food, what does Jesus respond with? You. You give them something to eat. I used to read that and think, why would, why would he say that? What's really the purpose there? And I don't think I really understood until I looked, until I looked at it further. That the compassion of God, the compassion that we see in Jesus, is to be the compassion that empowers his followers to love and serve people. What Jesus is really saying here, because we do see, what does he do? He breaks the bread. Who does he give it to? To distribute. To the disciples. He breaks the bread and he gives it to the disciples. And he takes the fish and he gives it to the disciples. The disciples are the ones who are distributing this. Who is the power behind that act of compassion? It's Jesus. We read that story about Jesus feeding 5,000 and we say, that doesn't apply to me today because that is this huge miraculous event. I could do nothing of that sort. And I would say to you, you were never intended to. That was never the intention and never the point of this message. Jesus, as we know, is without end in his power. It's impressive that he fed as many people as he did. But the message here is the people that he fed through. The message is that, once again, he took the disciples who up to this point had been witnesses and made them active participants in his ministry. In the same way, we as the church are called to respond to the multitudes in our city, empowered by the compassion of Jesus. We'll get more to that later. Read, read more with me in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. 
But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. For their hearts were hardened. Jesus goes up onto the mountain to pray after sending his disciples to their next destination. And he can see, even from the mountain, that it is taking them a long time to get where they're going. Jesus spends his time in prayer, and the Bible tells us that about the fourth watch of the night, which would be somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus makes his way to the boat that the disciples are in. What do we know about why he did that? I can tell you what we do know from looking at Scripture. We know that his intention was not to terrify the disciples. And that's comical. That was not his intention. When you think about the purposes and the intentions of Jesus, we think of Jesus is going to do it, and he's going to do it the way Jesus wants to do it, right? This is Jesus adapting what he is doing in light of current circumstances. His intention was to pass by, and most would agree that his intention in doing so was to walk close enough to the disciples that they were able to discern who he was, and that would give witness to his power yet again and his divinity. Jesus was trying to bring the disciples into right understanding of who he was. He was trying to bring them into a proper knowledge of him. And as we see at the end of this portion of scripture, by the end, they are still very confused about who Jesus is. They do. These disciples, even as they're going out and preaching the gospel, they still need to learn about who Jesus is. But as he is traveling, they see him. They don't recognize him. They just see a figure walking on the water after they're exhausted, after a long day. They see this thing just walking on water. How terrifying would that be? How scary would that be? And Jesus, what Jesus could have done is Jesus could have got a little closer to the boat. And they're like, eh? You see, it's me? And they're like, what? And he could have just continued on his way and met them on the other side. He could have still finished displaying, hey guys, it's me, right? But he completely stopped. The Bible says he immediately went to the boat and said, don't be scared, it's me. Why? Why does this plan change? Because even with Jesus, even with Jesus, he never forsakes the immediate needs of people for the sake of his message. He never forsakes the immediate needs of people for the sake of his message. But we as the church have sometimes not done that. There have been times where we've imagined that as Christians, our job solely is to care for the eternal soul of a person. That their eternal needs, that their eternal needs trump their temporal needs. That we're to feed what is to be permanent. Let somebody else care about what's temporary. 
if we get so wrapped up in just getting a person saved, in just getting a person to know Jesus, but we don't care for what they're feeling right now, if we don't have compassion as a reaction to the needs that are happening in their life at this moment, we're misrepresenting Jesus through and through. We as Christians, do we know that their right understanding of God, their right knowledge of God is of most importance? We do. We do. How are we going to communicate the love of that God? How are we going to communicate a right understanding of the character of that God if we see people suffering and we simply pass by? Jesus could have passed by in his attempt to bring people into right understanding. We can't do that. That's not the way Jesus does it. Now let me just make this clear too. We are, we are the hands and feet of our Savior. The way that Jesus lived and the type of kingdom that King Jesus was bringing into the world is the type of kingdom that you and I are called to reflect, to live out. And therefore, we witness the works of Jesus and we respond today, carrying out his message and breaking it forth into the city of Tucson What by looking at the way he loved and then loving by looking at the way he cared and then caring. By looking at the things he said and then teaching them. They're all important. This last portion of scripture that we're going to read takes place the following day. And at this point, we can be pretty sure that nobody has slept in some time. They've come back from their journey. They immediately began teaching, feeding thousands of people, getting in a boat, rowing against the wind, being scared out of their wits by Jesus. And then they show up the next day, and this is what happens. Verse 53, when they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately, immediately again, recognized them and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was and wherever he came. In villages, cities, or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And as many as touched it were made well. The compassion of our Savior, the compassion of Jesus, it's messy. It does not come the need for his compassion does not come at the times which are most convenient to him. And yet, and yet, I know in my heart, I'm so much less likely to display compassion, to pour compassion out on someone when it interferes with my time, 
when it interferes with what I'm doing. But in Jesus, in Jesus, we see a love that is so counterintuitive to our hearts, so different than the way the world does things. We see a compassion. We see a compassion that does not avoid the brokenness, that does not avoid the hurt, but actively seeks after it. And this, and this is our Savior. This is His great love for you and for I. Henry Nouwen, a a Dutch-born Catholic priest who has had great influence on Christians of all different uh, backgrounds, denominations, said, said this, and I think it sums up the compassion of Jesus in such a powerful way. He said, let us not underestimate how hard it is to be compassionate. Compassion is hard because it requires the inner disposition to go with others to places where they are weak, vulnerable, lonely, and broken. Compassion is not easy. And yet our Savior, yet Jesus, compassion took him from place to place, from person to person, the driving force behind his ministry, the driving force behind his coming here at all. The Bible, the Bible is a story in some respect, of the compassion of God. Because we know that before you and I had done anything right, anything wrong, God chose before the universe, before the foundations of the earth were laid, God knew that if he created us, He was going to have to save us. The Bible is the story of that rescuing of you and I. The Bible is the story of God's compassion being stirred, not based on our worthiness, but based on the fact that we would inevitably have need. That's the criteria for stirring up the compassion of God. Where there is a need, his compassion is awakened. And he saw the need in you and I. And that compassion would ultimately drive him to the cross. It would take him to a place that was uncomfortable. It would take him to a place of brokenness. It would take him to the place where he was spit on, rejected, and ultimately murdered. Let that compassion be the driving force behind your own as it pertains to you individually and to us together as a church. Let the compassion of Jesus, which did not consider a person's worthiness to receive it, let that, 
Let that be what drives us out to love the people in our lives and in our city. We are empowered. Do you not realize there are there are so many there are so many people who are trying to find meaning and identity in their lives through acts of compassion to others, but in their heart they lack the genuine motivation. They lack the power that is required in order for true compassion to be shown and to take place. But you and I, we have that. We have that. As long as we have in our hearts and in our minds what God has done for us because of our need, we will never be able to spurn another in their time of need. We'll never be able to drive down the road, if we know this, we'll never be able to drive down the road in our air-conditioned cars and see a homeless person on the side of the street and say, I got where I'm at because of my good decisions and the great things I've done, and they're where they're at because they didn't do the right thing. They didn't work hard enough. They didn't, they didn't plan well enough. They're what, they got what they deserve. I have what I deserve. If you believe in what Jesus has done, you will never be able to do that. But instead, even more so, when you see somebody hurting, when you see somebody suffering, and you recall what the Lord has done for you, you believe that He has done that for you, His Holy Spirit comes and abides in you and works through you. You can love people to such a degree that it rocks your life and rocks the life of everybody that you come into contact with. We have the power as Christians to be able to walk out into the city and wholeheartedly, because of Jesus, say there is a God. He does love you. And I'm going to show you how much He cares about you. That's powerful. So we're going to respond to that today. We're going to respond to the power that God has given us to be His hands and His feet and His heart and His mind and His mouth and His ears in the city of Tucson for His glory and for our joy. Let's pray. Lord God, we worship You today because You in your compassion have had unbelievable mercy on us. We worship you today because we could have received our reward and it would have been death. It would have been destruction. Instead, we received grace and we received mercy and we received life and we received love and we received identity and home and adoption by you of us. We worship you today for that. And I pray, Lord, that the truth of that would empower the way that we love others so that they too might know the riches of your grace, the greatness of your mercy, and the love of your Son. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.